Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 700. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am so revved up and excited to introduce today's very special guest, my 700th guest here on Cars Yeah, Steve Ford. Hey, Steve, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am I am in for the adventure and strapped in, and I'm going to cover my eyes in case you take this thing up to 150 miles an hour, <laughs> and then you can tell me when I can look. No, I'm kidding. This is great. Thank you. <laughs> we'll have some fun here, and I think it's pretty cool that Steve is my 700th guest because of uh, who he is, how much he's involved in the uh, automotive industry, and uh, we will have some fun here. Steve Ford has the coolest domain possible, thecarguy.com. He trademarked this title back in 1985 when he was a radio news featured broadcaster covering automotive consumer news and car tips. He's worked in the advertising field, public relations, journalism, television, radio, magazines, and speaking engagements. Along the way, he added teaching in the evenings at a community college that grew to a position as an automotive technician trainer for General Motors. Plus, he's an ASE certified master auto technician. That means he knows what he's talking about. Steve hosted on television show Talk to DIY Automotive. Steve also volunteers in support of youth, cars, and hands-on careers, helping students see opportunities in the automotive industry, something that's close to my heart, of course. So, Steve, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Before we jump into the questions, could you share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your uh, great passion for automobiles? Thank you, Mark, and thanks for that great summary. As I think I said to you, in early conversations when we first talked about even doing the show, you know, to be able to summarize a career so so thoughtfully, bringing it all together in a logical sequence is something that I'd love to explain that I've done because the car careers you and I both know and anybody listening who's in the automotive industry know, you know, you can enter because you like cars. But once you get an education in whatever facet of the automotive industry you choose to go into, there are so many corridors down that hallway uh, and that's what you were covering with 700 different corridors of people's careers. So thank you for the introduction. For me, the summary of my career would be I'm a 17-year-old inside of an adult's body going along <laughs> for the ride. Sounds like fun. <laughs> it, it has been, you know, because if I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't absolutely fascinated with automobiles, trucks, airplanes, like most young people and fire trucks and what have you. We all know, and I'm a dad and you're a dad. So, you know, I have, I have teenage kids and I remember the fire truck going by, the police car going by, the police motorcycle going by, and my son being enamored, you know, climbing out up to the window of, of the bedroom, looking out the window to, with eyes beaming to watch a fire truck go by or something. You know, machines intrigue me like that. So I have it in my, you know, DNA, I think. So the essence is, I'm a 17-year-old auto shop student in a lifetime career, loving every minute of it. <laughs> well, this is cool, and I think our audience here are going to learn a lot more about Steve as we move through the journey. I've had the pleasure of talking to Steve multiple times before we got to do this show, which is really, really cool, because a lot of my guests, I don't get that privilege. Thank you. And we become friends and buddies, and uh, yeah, I think we could spend days talking cars together. Camaraderie. Yeah. Car culture, yeah. And so, broadcast and podcast. Yeah, you know. we've got yeah. a few things in common, yeah. for sure. Well, as we continue on your automotive journey and head down the different roads you've traveled, I always like to start with a success quote or a mantra. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your success, and it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Steve, take the wheel. You know, it's so neat to have a chance to give one quote. You've had 700 now plus quotes growing, but this quote I learned later in my career, but I found it as a template that fit pretty much the view that I had since I discovered my fascination with everything mechanical and particularly cars, starting with motorcycles and every, you know, things before that, but ultimately a career about automobiles. And the quote of Wayne Gretzky that is, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take is what really applies for me and I think a lot of people because so many people I've observed and many of them are happy, but they go in and they take one position and they do it for 30 years or one career. You can be a fabulous CPA, doctor, airline pilot, mason, you know, putting together great walls. You look at the wall, look at the Chinese wall, right? Somebody has a lot of pride being a craftsman. 
yep. our craftsperson doing that. You know, whether it's construction, gardening, whatever career somebody might take, the automotive career for me has been all about adventures of stretching and growing. And why not? You know, some people just don't want to leave the safe harbor. And to me, I go into the harbor, I value fueling up, getting some groceries and some supplies for the road or whatever. I'm mixing metaphors here, being a boat and a car. But let's say enjoying the drive of life. My gosh, how many car people do you know who find analogies that apply to living and driving and cars and working on cars? So the road trip of this car career for me has been just many different destinations. I haven't been comfortable with saying just, I love being a mechanic originally, an automotive technician. Nothing pleases me more than firing up a fresh motor that I built or putting new brakes on a car and still doing that for my family cars, you know, and yeah. friends. Yeah. But nothing makes my teeter-totter more than just the discovery of the multiple dimensions of the automotive world. And so I continue taking shots to discover where can I stretch and grow. Now, when you look back at your career, and as our listeners will be reminded of my introduction, you've gotten your hands into a lot of areas. So you definitely are a guy who has kind of walked your talk, that's for sure. Thanks. Well, as we continue on this journey, I'd like to go back in time again and talk about what instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you look back in your life, perhaps when you're a kid, that you realize that you indeed were going to be a car guy? You know, I haven't told you this because we talked a bit about our roots just as guys talking about the radio and TV and rate and broadcast and podcast world right. before the show. I'm going to tell you something that is fun and pretty much galvanized my career that I hadn't planned to mention. But, but now that you asked that question and I'm in the moment with you about my youth, my father was a professor of sociology at Cal State Northridge, and he was the founding professor of the department that grew. And is there a, a department I would, would go to to my, you know, myself if I had, if I could clone myself and go to school? He had a fascinating journey, the study of groups of people in international societies. And he got a Fulbright fellowship to go to Europe wow. and the Middle East when I was a child. So we lived in Madrid, Spain. We lived in Rome, Italy. We lived in Beirut, Lebanon. Wow. And along the way, that meant we did many travels. Well, on one of our trips, and this is until I was about 11 years old, uh, so it was very impressionable, but it definitely blew off the boundaries, in my view, of the local neighborhood. You can't go past, you know, the grocery store. All right. I mean, I'm going, where are we going? Europe. Where are we going? Lebanon, you know. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. Yeah. So he ordered a Mercedes-Benz in Stuttgart, and it was in the European delivery system. When I was nine years old, we drove and picked up a Mercedes-Benz. We, we took a, a ship, you know, but this is, of course, dating me, right? We're in the 60s. And I'm going by ship on the SS Independence, which was a, a huge cruiser. And we took a ship from New York. I remember motoring by the Statue of Liberty in this wow. giant ship, the How swimming pool and shuffleboard on the deck and all that. Man. We were, yeah, it was a five or six day, probably five day journey from New York to France. We grabbed a uh, train, went to Paris and spent some time in, in France. And then the lead in here is to, of course, go to Stuttgart in Germany where we were going to then pick up by train. We took a train into Stuttgart, got picked up by a Mercedes-Benz driver who was then going to take us to the factory. And the end of my answer on this is I went into that factory loving cars since I was no taller than a hubcap. And I had no idea what I was in for. These people really did PR with me. They gave me a Mercedes-Benz three-star emblem, like a tie, not a tie bar, but a, one of those pins that you put on your lapel. Right. It was connected with a little small chocolate bar. And I'm like, I'm, I'm in. You know, I'm a Mercedes-Benz. <laughs> yeah. You guys got me. Yeah. Then they took us and showed us, the whole family, the assembly line. And it gives me goosebumps to tell you about it now. Oh, my gosh. Because I was nine years old and a junior car guy in training, yeah, you know? Yeah, And I'm watching these Mercedes-Benz. The, they got the body lowering onto the onto the uh, chassis. The marriage, as they call it, at the exactly. factory. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And this German tour guide loved what he was talking about. And I'm like, I'm in. You know, I'm just going to stay here. You guys go to yeah. Lebanon. Well, we drove that car through Italy, through Yugoslavia, then into Turkey. Listen, by the time we got to Turkey, we were driving on these tires that were absolute road tires, passenger car tires. My dad decided to do, you know, cut through some mountains. And these are mountains that are not paved. No. It was <laughs> it was chunks of granite rock in the middle of gravel. And my dad was an inspiring adventurer himself. And he's got this family of five. And I got my siblings along with me in the back seat. And we're looking out the window. And it's a, it's a whole different look than, than Northridge, California uh, you know, yeah. and Santa Monica. So we drove to Beirut, Lebanon in that Mercedes-Benz that he bought. And we had five flat tires in two days driving <laughs> on the roads. So I was out there with my dad R&Ring the wheel, taking off the lug nuts, you know, looking at the brake drum, removing the wheel, hitchhiking into the local town. And he would speak 
broken whatever language they'd have to communicate on. We'd get the tires fixed. Get you know, they would get a driver would take us back. We'd take the car off the jack, put the wheel on, and go. We had no idea the demands on those tires. So I became the tire. I wasn't the car guy yet. yet. I'm dad's assistant. The pit crew. Yeah, the pit crew. And my siblings and my, my everyone else is in the car. But between the Mercedes-Benz factory tour and being this kid working on a car at nine years old with my dad. In the mountains in Turkey. In Turkey. <laughs> and then we got to Beirut, Lebanon, where we lived for a year. I saw the, the Bentleys, the Jaguars, the Mercedes-Benz taxis. And I just started really connecting with those are cars. That's wow. how you change a flat tire. Motorcycles all buzzing around and Vespas going around town and the smell of diesel. I drank it all up. So that was a very profound experience, really, that, that uh, opened yeah. my eye. I <laughs> now, the question is about getting into the automotive world, right? You know, beyond that. That was a childhood experience, I would say, that really got me, got my wheels turning. By 11 years old, I was back in my normal neighborhood, going to an elementary school, finishing up with my buddies who didn't even know that. I mean, it's like you've been gone for a year and they had no idea. And I had really was kind of like, this is no, this is what my family does. Yeah. And so we came back. I resumed life, you know, Stingray bicycles, go-karts, mini bikes, and then into motorcycles. And I started tearing everything apart and putting, you know, racing motocross and riding motorcycles before I had a driver's license, you know, yeah. but I really just drank up tearing things apart. So I, my dad's watching me pull off the barrel and change the rings on my motocross Yamaha 250 or Husqvarna 250 and all this and changing brakes and modifying them and this type of thing. And so so between the ninth and 10th grade coming out of what we call middle school or junior high school, at 15 years old, I went into auto shop. And to bring this in for a very quick landing, six weeks of summer school and high school auto shop between the ninth and 10th grade, when you leave junior high school, entering high school, the shop class that I gravitated to was auto shop, of course. Yeah. And so the auto shop teacher was incredible, Mr. Lee Mills at Granada Hills High School. And they still have an auto shop there. And he's like a second father to me. He's retired. But we hang out and go to advisory meetings together and this type of thing. He's a lifetime mentor and friend. Nice. And he said to me, he watched me do the shop projects. And I did about 27 out of 30 projects in six weeks, which is, you know, it, he didn't want you to run out of things to do, but I got close. Yeah. And he said to me, you obviously have gifts and talents and mechanical ability. And I think you have a place here in auto shop. And nobody in my life, including my dad, as much as he was a great guy, had ever said, you've got something. He was like, you're going to become something one day. And this right. guy was, you're something now. Right. And I, I drank that up. I mean, let's admit, let's, I mean, I'll admit ego and joy and self respect is something that every teenager is yearning for. So I was delighted. I just soaked up what he said and I'll never forget the conversation. He said, now that you're finishing the ninth grade summer school going into the 10th grade, I'm going to do something with you that I've never done with another student in my 12 years of teaching or whatever it had been at that point. He said, I'm going to let you go directly into advanced auto shop in the 10th grade. Now, no 10th grader has ever gone into advanced auto in the 10th grade before. Wow. So the good side of it was I'm an advanced auto shop student very quickly. I'm being skipped a grade. The bad part is I'm a 15-year-old with peach fuzz in a room full of 11th and 12th graders. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all car they're all the pros. They're all the egos that we know are in the auto industry right. that are great guys. But they're like, who's this punk kid coming in here from the 10th grade? You know, yeah. the double edged sword that you, you or anybody would know is I had both a strength. Hey, the kid's sharp. He must be good. And also a weakness. Let's let him prove himself. So the beautiful thing for me was before the term car guy was really in our lingo, before I knew I wanted to even be in the industry, I met two types of car guys, okay? And there were some gals in there too, car people. And uh, the wonderful thing is some of the coolest, baddest dudes in terms of hot cars took me under their wing and they were car guys. They were, that's what, that, that was what I looked up to. And there were the other guys I'd call coconuts who were just goofing off and they'd make wisecracks and what have you and they'd be working on their cars. They'd do an oil change or something. I hung out with the guys that were pulling cylinder heads and putting in camshafts and stuff like this. And I just loved the fact that I was a little uncomfortable because I was a little guy with peach fuzz, but I was delighted that I learned there were guys that could pass it on. And that's what I wanted to be when I grew up. So I wanted to become one of them. Yeah. And that's what I've spent my career doing. So six, week of, six weeks of auto shop changed my life. I went into advanced auto in the 10th grade. And Mark, that was the on-ramp. I never looked back. I, <laughs> I don't have a rear view mirror for questioning anything. I'm wide open throttle. Cool. I love that. The story about Going to Europe in the Mercedes, that was fantastic. Oh, it was crazy. 
Well, Steve, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the other roads you've driven down, which you've been around a lot of roads, but talk about a huge challenge or a big failure. And I want you to take us to those painful moments in time, walk us through it. But more importantly, how did that experience help you gain even more momentum in your career, your life, or your business? You know, it's something that I know you'll understand I really hadn't intended to share it's very personal. I've never told anybody this story before in such a public forum. But I think when, when you prompt me with this question, and I want to go as deep into my heart and my, my soul, if, if you will, and truly that deep, I have to go back to that 17-year-old. And I mean, there's been many experiences I've had since I began in auto shop as a 15-year-old or when I was racing motocross, you know, at a 12 and 13-year-old. I mean, growing up, falling in love with machines. I was fascinated with this hardware. My dad has a PhD. I have two other siblings. They went and got PhDs. My mother was an actress, a studio uh, contract player for Paramount and 20th Century Fox and a different, different cut of the fabric. She had a bachelor's degree from UCLA, but she was not an academic. She was, a, she was an artist and a performer. And so both expressive parents, but my dad had one son, me, and I was starting to look like I was going to be a grease monkey. I mean, you can imagine this guy, Professor Ford at Cal State Northridge. I'm in the sociology department. Oh, really? Tell me about your family. Well, I have two kids and your one's at, you know, University of Santa Barbara, the other one's at UCLA. And and I have a son. What's your son do? Oh, he's into auto shop, grease monkey. You know, it's like it just didn't probably work well for him to be talking about that. I'm kidding. I mean, I don't know what he said. But I know that by the end of the 10th grade, I've got guys coming over with uncorked Camaros, you know, hot rods. We're out in the driveway firing up motors and tearing, make, throwing, you know, axles and throwing uh, fuel on your dad's fire, I think. You is got what it. To yeah. Say. I'm, I'm telling you, he was first intrigued and proud. You know, this kid knows about cars. You know, he's going to be pretty handy when he works in whatever career he ultimately grows up into. Yeah. I was in my career, and right. he did not like that. My ambition was to be an ace mechanic. You know, I was in auto shop, and I admired all the greatest guys. and They were my inspiration, and they were also my mentors. And my auto shop teacher was the chief mentor. And here I go home to my dad, and he's saying, oh, get your jalopies out of the driveway. You, you guys, you and your sidekicks, you, you hoodlums and hot rodders and street racers and all this stuff. And I'm listening and I'm thinking, yeah, that's right, dad. This is cool. So I am. (laughs) Yeah. He's saying the pejorative. It's like you're, you're all a bunch of gearheads and hot rodders. And I'm thinking, yeah, you got it. That's right. And I love the mechanical and hands on world. He didn't. I mean, he, he admired people that could do that, but not his son. It's like you are going into the academics like the rest of your, right. The rest of the family. Yeah. We're going to do it paint by numbers here. You get this, you get that. Then you go for your advanced degree. Well, that is cool. I mean, we need academics, but you don't want an academic who has no interest in it. You want a mechanic who really cares about fixing your car. I wanted to be passionate about what I was doing. He saw that as an – he was a dad who really didn't want to let me go too far that direction. He wanted me well-rounded. I didn't want – I wanted to be well-rounded. But I wanted my roundest part to be cars. So he sent me off. He had a student who had a – he had a graduate student who did a study about youth correctional institutions and ranches and you know things like this for juvenile delinquents, which I wasn't. But my dad thought, you know, maybe if I enroll my son in the 11th grade in a boy's ranch, like a bit, something like a military school, right, very regimented, then he'll grow up and he'll get on with being interested in the academics where I want him okay. to go. Yeah. So he sent me off to a place called Father Garrett's Boys Ranch in the 11th grade, started at, at, in September. I was dropped off. I understood what I was doing. I was supposed to go to this ranch for a, a, a semester, and I didn't know what I w- exactly what his agenda was, but it was very much the guys that I showed up there with were guys who either could go to Juvenile Hall or Father Garrett's Boys Ranch. It was, it was okay. We had recreation, basketball, and stuff like this, but we all had to do the cooking, the cleaning, the chores, the laundry, whatever. And I, I didn't know exactly the world at that point. I just thought, well, this is kind of not what I'm happy about, but I was getting the feeling that my dad wanted me to be sort of sobered, you know, at 17 right. cars. You know, you're yeah. intoxicated with cars and we're going to make you run clean. You know, yeah. We're going to get rid of this problem. And I remember, Mark, and for anybody listening, you know, for me, I was too young to understand. But this is one of those times in life when I had to go inside and ask myself, you know, is there something wrong with what I want here? Am I really disappointing my dad this much? My mom was a, you know, father knows best, traditional mother kind of, okay, you know, we're going to send him here. Well, Father Garrett, saw me as, you know, this guy who wasn't really coming from a crazy criminal background right. or something. And I wasn't selling drugs. I was into cars and my dad felt that I was, you know, a renegade, you know. And so after about two and a half months, Father Garrett, I remember, invited my dad to come up. They had a conversation and I was sent home. Father Garrett told my father, your son is taking a spot of somebody who really needs to be here. 
And I'm not saying I was so well behaved. I was a hot rodder and I did do a little street racing, you know, and my buddies and I were all well behaved and law abiding for the most part, but we were typical teenagers. And he just, it was very much about his saying, this is, I want you to do better in school and this type of thing. Well, he had to have me come home. He, He felt, okay, well, we had you have a little lesson here. And I came back. And Mark, while I was there at the boys' ranch, I was hanging out with these guys who were pretty radical, but I was buddies with all of them because I was a teenager. I could relate to being, you know, just the whole thing of being with guys. But I really felt like, you know, I'm alone up here and I'm going to have to remember who I am and what I want and why I want to do what I want to do. So when I came back, it worked the opposite. When I got back, I got back into auto shop, my fellow buddies and students. It was like nothing ever changed. Nothing had ever happened. I came back two and a half months into the semester, kind of heartbroken by having my dad say, we're going to send you off to the school, but also passionate about excitement about, I get to come back to what I know I want to do. And I never stopped. I just kind of stuck with it. And that's probably a part of, you know, instead of him being able to get me to become an academic, he actually did something that made me feel like I'm going to fight for Steve. I'm yeah. going to And I ultimately went on to grad school later, got a master's degree, got into education, but only after I'd worked as a mechanic and done, you know, marketing and broadcast and what have you. I didn't get a master's degree until I was like 40. But I tell you this because ultimately my dad kind of felt like, all right, well, you're a mechanic, but you got a degree, you know, in a more advanced level. Wow. Well, you know, thank goodness Father Garrett saw what was going on because, you know, who knows? If you'd stayed there for a whole year, maybe you would have been influenced by some of these guys that really needed to be disciplined. They were you know, maybe criminals in some respect. And oh, yeah. Getting no, into I heard the stories. Yeah. And I, I think I, you know, and I came back with a tattoo. You know, these guys were from Hall. So, you know, the thing about using India ink and a little needle on a toothbrush, you know, molded yeah. into a toothbrush to do your own tattoo. I had done a tattoo, which I've since had removed. And I actually may put back just to honor that 17-year-old. <laughs> Holy cow. Well, I really appreciate you taking us to a really personal side of your story. What a story that is, too. And I, I see that. I can understand that families where parents want a kid to go down a certain path and they don't and they, they just can't handle it. Luckily, it works its way through and works its way out. I was a poster child for auto shop, you know, and parents questioning, why would you be hands-on? So, yeah. yeah. It's been really helpful for me to have compassion for teenagers. Great story. Awesome. Thanks for sharing. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I like to call this the aha career moment. I would assume now, knowing you as I do, you've had many career aha moments because you've gone down lots of different roads. But is there one in particular that really shines forward for you? Well, you're gracious having so many people you've talked to about their careers and acknowledging that from my journey, yeah, I would say that you know you're kind, of course, because I I think it's a series of aha moments that got me to go beyond being. I started as an auto parts counterperson at at uh, 17 years old. When I came back from Father Garrett's, I was hired by the local auto parts store to work as an auto parts counterperson. For for me, that was an early moment of wow. You know, I can be professionally hired as an auto parts specialist at right. the counter. Again, brand new, lot to learn. So you know, but into life to find out that. The automotive world is so multidimensional. I think all of your guests in their different paths have inevitably found. And for me, I think the one that I have to admit is is one of the more profound moments is the bridge that I went across from being a hands-on person into being in the marketing, advertising, sales, you know, the promotion world that ultimately is kind of ultimately in some ways broadcast, right. you know, selling and sharing and enthusiasm about cars. You know, I'm not looking to have anybody sign the dotted line, nor are you. But we're selling our, our love of cars, you know? Right, right. And so I was working in a dyno tuning shop as a mechanic early on, doing high performance tuning, recurving distributors. You know, what are distributors, right? Everybody's got distributor list and you know, transistorized ignition <laughs> today. You know, rejetting carburetors, what are carburetors, you yeah. know, injection. I was modifying engines, as I know you'd understand from your days when you had your Carmen Ghia that yep. you got as one of your first cars. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, you know, you were tearing your car apart in the driveway. So that was what we were doing at that time. So I worked with other mechanics in that shop, and one of the guys and I were out one evening. I can't say this. Maybe I was – I don't. how do I say it politically correct? We were, you know, stoplight uh, racing a guy who had a Firebird, and my buddy had a Camaro, a Z28, a 70 Z28 at a stoplight next to a 70 Firebird Formula 400. Light turns green. We're not looking for a race, but this Firebird takes off kind of fast, and my buddy shifts from second back to first in a four-speed and wide open throttle and blows right by this guy in the Firebird, but not so fast that the Firebird isn't intrigued with the fact that this, <laughs> this Camaro is a pretty good runner. Intrigued. I like you're used to that word. That's generous, right? He's more like pissed and yeah. used, right? But I'm kidding. 
it was all in good in good love of the, of the who's got a better what's under the hood of your car. Well, this was an LT1 Z28 with some modifications, but the Firebird Formula 400 ran pretty well. But it it was in need of a tune, and I knew that, and I was in the passenger seat. So we were going to Tommy's Burgers, you know, a place in the valley where, where we were both ending up pointed. So we went to the next light, and I looked over, and we smiled, and let's do it again, you know, right? We got the windows down. It's summer. It's in the San Fernando Valley. Light turns green. We both stand on it. We smoke him again. Pull up to the second light. Now we're down the roadways. We're about to go to Tommy's. He, I, I said, where are you guys going? They said, we're going to Tommy's. We'll, we'll let you pull in front of us. They pull in front of us. We pull into Tommy's, and we get out, and I say, how long have you had the car? What's under the hood? Whatever. He said, I just bought it. And I said, who's doing the tuning? He said, I haven't had it tuned up yet. Well, you can imagine that was an opportunity to sell him a tune-up. Yeah. Turned out to be Steve Altman is the guy's name. Steve Altman is now president of Qualcomm. He's a giant in the, in the Qualcomm you know, wow. electronic world. But when Steve was a teenager, we were street racing him, you know, stoplight to stoplight. We got Tommy's Burgers there. I don't remember if he stayed for, to get a Tommy's Burger, but I know we were in the parking lot. We talked. I gave him my business card. I said, I can turn your machine into this machine or at least closer to it. Just get it tuned up. Yeah. We got talking after I did the tune-up for him like a week later. I recurved his distributor, rejetted his carburetor, dyno-tuned the car, made it snap. You know, it was quick. Yeah. He was delighted. We talked. He said, my dad's in the auto industry. I said, really? What's he do? He said, oh, he's a manufacturer's representative. I said, manufacturer's representative. I like that. That sounds good. How did he get into that business? And Steve said, I don't know. His dad, was Harvey Altman, uh, was a principal at, at Pacific Automotive Representatives out of North Hollywood on Laurel Canyon, right? I'll never forget. Uh, Steve said, if you'd like to meet him and ask him about his career, and I'm like, I didn't know what I was doing. But what I was doing is what every kid should do today. Go talk to somebody in the field you want to work in. Yes. I went, talked to Harvey Altman, Steve Altman's dad, and – um Harvey hired me to be a manufacturer's representative as an incoming, you know, a peach fuzz, right, junior. Yeah, yeah. By that time, I'm like, I think I was 20 or 21 years old, yeah. maybe 22. Anyway, I became an outside representative for aftermarket brands in the warehouse distributors and some high-volume parts, you know, multi-chain or multi-store parts stores. Yeah. And it was wonderful. It opened my eyes. I'm wearing a suit and tie. I'm going in I'm with my catalogs and business cards. And, and I'm a mechanic now in a suit. And that opened my eyes to... The whole world of marketing inspired me to want to get a marketing degree from Cal State Northridge, my dad's university. Hey, dad, how yeah, you doing? I yeah, see I'm back. <laughs> I'm your mechanic, you know. Don't tell your professor friends, but I'm, I'm now enrolled as a student. I even took a class in sociology, dad, you yeah, know. Wow. I was going to night school initially, and then I landed a position in an advertising agency, and I won't go on from there except to say, you know, one thing led to another, and it was another aha moment. You can use your auto shop background as an expert on cars, fixing them as a pretty authoritative product specialist in the marketing world. Yeah. And that's it. It's a great story, and I think it's a great inspiration for listeners out there that are trying to figure out how do I jump to that next level. So very, very cool. Well, how about proudest career moments? I know you've had many, but is there one in particular you'd share? You know, you're kind, again, to think that I've had many. I don't know if I, I have had so many. Sometimes it's just survival, right? Just, <laughs> you know, you get another job because you need to make more money to support yourself, your family, whatever. Yeah. But I would say that if I look back and I measure the moments, I think that it's an interesting bridge, again, like an antenna. You know how tell an antenna mast, you pull it and it extends layer of layer of right. the tubing. Well, when I was teaching for General Motors, I had two cameras on me. I was an interactive distance learning teacher out of Detroit's Detroit Training Center for General Motors out of Warren, Michigan. Five days a week, I'm teaching classes on camera, two cameras, one on a, a tripod that's directly in front of me, just static as I'm an instructor, and another that would be watching me as I go around under the hood of a vehicle. So there was a production studio, and we're teaching about GM vehicles in a studio. And so I'd gone from being an automotive instructor at Santa Barbara City College, where you know we're by the Pacific Ocean in a whole different environment. My wife's from Ann Arbor. We moved to Detroit for five years. I'm teaching at General Motors. I do that for two years on contract and learn a lot because I'm in the fire baptism of GM products on the cutting edge. You know, and I'm a guy who started working in the 80s on cars, but I'm still staying with the technology. So I'm teaching about cars, Mark, and for the audience. You know, imagine a guy teaching auto shop basically, but to technicians. So I've been a shop teacher to public schools, high school, community college. Now I'm at GM. And the relevance of this is when I came back to California after I'd been teaching for GM to return home to Santa Barbara, I'm back there and I get a phone call and it's HGTV's DIY sister station network. Mm. It's one of the producers saying, we understand you're in the auto industry and you've got a background in hands-on and, and your technician background and so on. We want to have you come in for an audition. 
Mark, it's Wednesday. And he, I say, that's great. When do I come in? And he says, we'd like you here Saturday. And I said, you know, I, I have to be teaching through Friday. He said, we'll arrange to have a plane, have you fly out of Santa Barbara to come to Knoxville, Tennessee, uh-huh. where the HGTV, HGTV studios are. And so I'm like, now, look, this goes back. <laughs> you miss all the shots you don't take, right? right? I'm like, I have no reason why I can't do this. I'm going to call my wife and say, what are our weekend plans that I have to cancel? And she says, well, why? Well, I have an audition in Tennessee, <laughs> you know? It really is. She's like, like oh, who is this on the phone? Yeah, Who's trying exactly, to tease me? Right, yeah. right. Well, meanwhile, I actually. She'd been saying, so where's your big break you're waiting for, Mr. Car Guy? Right. You know? Well, that was a big break for me. Lauren yeah. Fix was the female counterpart. We were co-hosts. She'd already been land- – she'd landed the part. They thought she's going to be the t- storyteller. And we need a counterpart who's a guy who knows cars, who can talk. Well, I can talk. They- I can tell you that part. <laughs> but let's see if this guy can do more than chatter. You know. Yeah. So here I am, a GM-seasoned interactive distance learning on-camera satellite TV instructor for an automaker. And I've been a community college instructor, and I've got ASC certification. You know, I'm authentic yeah. at that level. So they're like, let's try this guy out. When I get there, they're auditioning for a live-to-tape show, which means this is not a show where they're going to shoot it five times each scene and then tape it together in an editing studio. They're going to run graphics, music, camera. Wow. You're going to do stuff, and they're going to the show will be finished when they're done shooting that day's production's done. They've run intro, graphics, everything. You have a teleprompter. But you can't have a teleprompter tell you how to fix a car. That just doesn't work. So they don't do that. They have a teleprompter just to be sure you do the intro and you know you in and out of commercials. Right. You know you're tuned in to do it yourself DIY whatever the thing is. You know yeah. I'm Steve Ford. This is Lauren Fix or I'm Lauren Fix. This is Steve Ford. We're on together. We're ch- you know trading off. Unless we were working on this you know whatever the vehicle was and we pick up from there. And then it's all what do you know about cars? You don't have any script. You don't have any teleprompter. You have to explain how to change brakes, swap a cam, right. you know do an alternator re- replacement, whatever you doing on cars well the thing they had a timing built to be installed on an engine and you didn't have to actually go through the actual physical changing of the belt they wanted to see how you handle yourself explaining to the camera mark they had seven cameras on me i mean it was a whole different (laughs) the general motors with one camera this is real deal they had a boom they had a a shoulder guy i mean they had like 15 18 people on a saturday morning in their studio with me i walk in and i'm thinking this is insane (laughs) i'm you know i'm going to be with these people It was very fun and intimidating at the same time yeah but they asked me to do something i could do literally with my eyes closed and explain could you explain how to how why uh we change a timing belt on this engine and it's like if I didn't know cars, I would have been like, well, gee, you put this thing here and you hang it here and take this bolt off, you know. Right. But I could tell it bolt by I could tell the procedure just like I would to any GM technician right. or student. And I was very fortunate. It was funny for me. It was like, this is cool. I, I, I don't want to stop. Let's keep taping. And they taped for about 15, 20 minutes. And I did my ex- explanation. Mark, bottom line, I landed the part. They said, uh, we're going to fly you back Saturday night. I went back home. They said, we'll probably have an answer in the next two to three weeks. A contract was being mailed Monday. And I don't say because of me. I think they were pretty sure we need to get on with this show. Yeah, we found the right guy. Found the right guy. So we did uh, 65 shows. There. Wow. That was it. It really all came together. Can, do you know cars? Can you talk? Are you enthusiastic? Do you yeah. believe in what you're saying? Can the audience trust you? Very cool. Yeah, Lauren yeah. Lauren Fix has been a guest here on Cars yeah as well. So uh, I yeah. know her. So yeah, she's been around for ages. Very cool. Well, Let's go back in time again and have you share your first really special car, maybe a memory with that vehicle. You know, I love a lot of vehicles that I've owned, and I've owned a lot of vehicles across the years. I mean, countless, like many of us who are in the car enthusiast world, had done. I haven't owned my dream cars necessarily, all of them, as you would understand. We have cars we can't afford, like one I'm happy to tell you about. But if I could go back and look at the, one of the favorite vehicles that I had that is truly, for me, right at the core of, of joy, it was a 70 Plymouth Roadrunner. Uh, four-speed, uh, gold factory paint, gold with a black stripe, uh, flat black uh, stripe down the center of the front. Uh, so two-tone, gold with black. It had American racing rims, American racing wheels, which were uh, those five-spoke, looked like ice cream cones. Oh, yeah. They were matched in paint to the color of the car, so gold spokes, aluminum, the silver rim, shiny, polished, beautiful. Mickey Thompson Indy Profile 50 Series tires in the rear, a 70 series in the front, the tires in the rear were on those American offset racing wheels that allowed the vehicle to be at not raised in the back, but perfectly flat with those wide 50s underneath. The car was just a beautiful silhouette of a 70 Roadrunner. Yeah. I bought it from a guy. It had a blown head gasket. When I took it apart, put it back together when I was done, it had TRW Ford's pistons, 
Carrillo rods, a Velasco crank. It had uh, the four-speed Hemi transmission, the Schaefer 456 gears in the back. You could do second-gear burnouts that you know because the thing had 456 gears. It was a quarter-mile car. It ended up with 67 440 heads, which Chrysler buffs would understand. Small combustion chambers on a 70 motor, netted 12 to 1 compression when you put TRW pistons in for that 70 383. So at the end, it was a 12 to 1 compression, 60 over 383. It was a 394 cubic inch. It ran 1270s on street tires. And I was 19 years old when I was done with it. <laughs> I started it in the 12th grade. When I was done with it, it was a bad dude, you know, with hooker headers and Holly 750 double pumper, yeah. uh, Edelbrock tarantula. Um, it was a fun car to drive and ported and polished uh, heads. It just did all the stuff that you could do back then. That car, you know, it was the only car I've ever driven in my life that scared me. It was so quick, so strong. Yeah. You know, we talk about EcoBoost four-cylinders and, and turbochargers and all the stuff you do with modern engines. That's all good and fine. But anybody that understands American V8 muscle cars understands they're really – I just don't tell anybody I told you this, but I'm telling everybody this is what I believe. There ain't no substitute for cubic inches when it comes to feeling the, the, the beast of a motor. <laughs> yeah. Work. It's twisting power. And that was what that car was about. Yeah, that was a lot of – that was my favorite car. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> Most definitely. The only car that scared me was like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Uh. It was just like, it's like you know, when you want to push the gas pedal, you better know you're, you're pointed the right direction. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. Point and shoe car for sure. <laughs> Most I, definitely. Yeah, that's a perfect term. Thank you. How about cars that you've let go? Is there one car you wish you had back in your garage? Sorry if anybody feels like I'm stuck on Detroit Iron, but I was in Northridge growing up, but I was within blocks, literally, of the of the boundary of Granada Hills. And Don Prudhomme lived in a, a, a handsome home built on a hill with a, a long driveway leading up to his home. And at the bottom of his driveway, by the way, was a GMC 671 supercharger, a blower, chrome, you know, polished chrome. It was the snake's mailbox. You knew he was a drag racer. But I'd, I'd stopped in at his shop near Ed Pink's Racing Engines on Raymer Street in Van Nuys. Anybody that drag racing would know Ed Pink. You would know Ed Pink at Pink Racing. And, and I'd hang out there, and, and uh, Bob Brandt was there and would be courteous to me walking around the shop of funny cars and all this stuff. And the relevance of this is that when I saw Don Perdome at the shop, you know, he's got a blown funny car, Chevy Monza, world champion drag racer. And when I saw him in his neighborhood driving out one day, and I just happened to bump into him in traffic, not bumping in and having him see me bump into him or something, but I spotted him merging off of his street onto Rinaldi, a street at the north end of the San Fernando Valley. And I'm driving my 70 Chevelle SS396 four-speed, you know, orange with black stripes, traditional hot rod punk, you know, thinking I'm going to street race Don Perdome if he's in his whatever car. I'm kidding. I'm Kidding. He pulls out in a, in, a, in a Lincoln Continental Mark IV or Mark III, that elegant, long hood, Lincoln Continental, brown with a brown leather interior. I can see all this as, and from afar. I mean, it's a gorgeous car. And he's driving with his wife down Rinaldi to the 405 freeway. Mark, I, I, I'll talk fast here to tighten because this is the way I got into a car that I really would want to buy again today. He was driving this elegant chariot of a Mark IV, long hood, short trunk, beautiful car, two door, and it's going down the road and he is the most mellow driver I've ever seen. And I'm like, when's he going to start to accelerate? He's a world champion drag racer and he's driving mellow. And he was going probably 42 miles an hour in a 45 mile an hour road. You know, just mellow, just cruising. And I suddenly had, you talk about aha moments, I thought, wow, a world champion six-second funny car driver can drive a Lincoln Mellow. That's inspiring. So that's what a hot rodder, a real hot rodder drives is a cool, mellow, long-hooded, mellow kind of car. And so I was tuning a Grand Prix. About that time, I was still working as a mechanic. And I was tuning up a customer's Grand Prix, and I had it you know, for a test drive, and I fell in love with it, the Model J70. So I bought one, a burgundy one with a black interior and a jet cockpit. You know, It was a two-bucket seats with a wraparound cockpit. They were gorgeous interiors. I learned about John DeLorean and the GTO. And, and John DeLorean was behind the GTO. He was also behind the design of the, of, the, uh, of the Grand Prix. He worked at Packard before he went to work for General Motors in the Pontiac division. So he was an engineer at Packard and fell in love with that long hood waterfall grill kind of stuff and he was a huge influence on the Pontiac Grand Prix and I bought the 70 because it was sort of reminiscent of the Lincoln long hood Mark IV and I enjoyed all my buddies are driving hot rods and they're jacked up in the rear and loud mufflers and all this but I thought I need a good second car that's mellow other my Chevelle's like a hot rodder you know noisier mags and you know it's more calling attention to itself the Grand Prix burgundy chariot smooth low but it had a 404 barrel 
dual exhaust. It, it was strong. It was a good runner. If I could buy back any car of all the cars I've owned, it would be a 70 Pontiac Grand Prix with a black interior and burgundy exterior. Wine, not a metallic. It was a rich maroon. And I fell in love with maroon, one of my favorite car colors. And, they, and the thing just was a, incredible. Built on the same chassis as the Chevelle and the Pontiac Le Mans and the Buick Skylark. It's not a big car, but it had, that, it had the longest hood, as I think I may have mentioned you when we talked cars once, about the longest hood in the industry domestically was the Pontiac Grand Prix. I love the car. This is a great car. If I could buy it back. You know, not a muscle car, not a race car, just a really enjoyable, beautiful car to look at. A nice car. That's it. Sounds like it. Very cool. You know, I love to drop names here because uh, you mentioned Ed Pink Motors. I had Frank Consowitz, who now runs Ed Pink Motors. General manager or whatever his title is there. Yeah, right? yeah. He's the guy in charge there now, so he was on the show. Yeah, great company. Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. What's What are you working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? You know, it's an interesting thing that I'd like to pretend like I'm still 20, you know, or be that 17-year-old. But something has occurred to me since I got into education. And in 1995, I was invited to be a part-time instructor at Santa Barbara City College. That was my beginning, 1995, of an aha moment, if you will, being invited to teach. And I really hadn't ever planned for it. But given the opportunity, Tim Gillis, who was teaching there, was going to be doing his first automotive textbook. And he's done a number of uh, great automotive textbooks since then. He was going to be taking on a textbook to write, and he needed some of his classes taken over, and he tossed me one of them. He said, if you ever taught? I said, no. He said, are you ASC certified as a technician? Do you have a college degree? I said, yes, I got both. He said, you can teach. I thought, well, yeah. He said, do you want to? I said, let me think about it. And I thought about it for a day or two. And then I turned around and said, I'd love to because I thought stretch and grow. Well, I fell into teaching and loved it. I just was delighted to be in the classroom with all these junior car buffs, you know, and and gals and guys who were young and curious about understanding cars, whether they're going to work in the career or not. So, Mark, what's happened is for more than what, let's see, longer than I want to admit, you know, more than 20 years I've been in education. That's what prompted me to go for the master's degree beyond a marketing degree. So I went to Michigan State when I was in grad school in Michigan, came back, kept teaching. What it showed me was auto shops and shop classes have disappeared. So my new thrust and my energy and my passion is reaching out to youth and being a speaker to high schools and you could guess this, youth correctional institutions, where I go and I tell them, I'm a 17-year-old in an adult's body, and I know where you're at if you're feeling like you're not sure of your future. Let me tell you where, where some really cool stuff's going on. Nice. And I tell them about the skilled trades and how exciting it can be. And whether welder, machinist, plumber, electrician, pipe fitter, HVAC, air conditioning, whatever might make your, your you know float your boat, uh, I want to tell you that it's, it's pretty cool to do something you love and see that kind of result every day. So I'm working with the Murphy Automotive Museum. I'm a volunteer educator there for kids and cars, and I'm working on a project called Discovering Cars. I'm also working with Pacific Youth Lodge in the San Fernando Valley with young guys who get there because they would otherwise be in juvenile hall, and I can look at them, and they can look at me and say, well, this guy looks like my father, my uncle, my my neighbor, and I remind them, you're right, but I'm a car guy, and I'm really 17. you got to know, don't tell anybody, don't tell your parents you're being taught by somebody as as (laughs) kooky as me. But I get their attention by saying, I'm with you. So I'm all about youth and cars right now, and I'm making a lot of my energy go toward helping youth get into cars. Nice. Great. It's absolutely fantastic. You know who comes to mind should connect you with Mike Rowe, uh, the yeah. TV personality. He's so involved in helping young people Yeah, get involved in those kind of things. So awesome. Yeah, we need more like him. And I just, I'm, I know there are many of us across the business, including you. Look what you're doing. You're all, you're all about careers and cars. Right. Every interview you do is about somebody with a car career. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, showing the path, kind of helping guide people down that new path. Conversations for us ahead, Mark. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, about offline, about about what we both know. If I'm your 700th interview, there's 700 paths we've already looked at, you have already looked at, that take you from interest in cars. So, yeah, that's my new interest. That's my new passion. Fantastic. Well, here's a very introspective question, Steve. If you were a car, what kind of car would Steve be and why? Well, I'm a boring 70s kind of guy, you know, I, but the 70s had a lot of cool stuff going on. Now, I didn't get the 70s cars until I was in the late 70s and 80s because that's when I'm coming out of high school and starting my, my journey. But when I looked at that question and I thought, you know, I've got to give Mark and the audience something authentic, I have to tell you, and you'd know this for most of us that would be interviewed by you, you know, well, you know, an F40 Ferrari would probably be the equivalent. <laughs> yeah, that's me, man. Yeah, right, right. That's me, baby. You know, or I might be, you know, a Duesenberg. I want to be more authentic. You know, on my mother's side, there's a family crest that I use. In fact, I'm not wearing the ring, but it's S.A. Quam Bidere, you know, to be rather than to seem to be. It's a great quote, and I, I love it because it 
it relates to what I believe everybody should rightfully do. You know, rather than worry about impressing everybody with what they think they want to look like, be what you are and, and be good at it if you can be, right? I was trying to think back to my seventh grade Latin class. Miss Shade was my teacher, and she would always write a saying every day in Latin, and you'd have to figure out what that was. And my, my brain was starting to spin there going, be authentic. Essay is, yeah, essay yeah. to be, the verb to, to be, be. Yeah, to be, be authentic. Uh, yeah. Right. Essay be rather than videre, seem. Yes. Videre is to see or, vi- you know, vide- vide- you know the roots to of see. Latin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember those. Essay quam videre. And so it's to be rather than to seem to be. So when I registered my trademark, I wasn't registering our service mark of the car guy, but I was looking at it. I was didn't know what I was doing except an attorney told me. It's kind of like a DBA. Yes. You're announcing to the world that that's the title. And if nobody else has used it and you're original, you get it. Well, that meant the same thing to me. I don't want to be using a mark that's you know a name or a title somebody else is using. So my attorney said, then you go register this. So I did it. And that was consistent with be rather than seem to be. But if I were a car mark based on that whole view of, you know, I want to tell everyone that I, that I, that I'm a Ferrari. I want to tell you that I'm a Lambo, you know, but that's just like too obviously I'm so cool. And people would say, oh yeah, right. You're, you're a Ferrari. Not, not true. You can't, you're not that fast. You're not that smart, you know? And so I have to say, let's go to something that I would like to be. I'd like to be dressed well. I'd like to be competent. I'm not the most expensive car. I'm not the best looking car. I'm not the fastest car, but I'm good to be here in this car. If I were a car, I'd be a 70 Pontiac Trans Am. 70 and a half Pontiac Trans Am, white with a blue stripe, shaker, shaker hood, you know, machine silver dashboard metal, you know, with all the instrumentation, black interior, four-speed transmission, rally wheels, and I'd be able to go fast enough, but not the fastest. I'd be able to look good going pretty fast, handling the turns pretty well, but not the Carrera that you'd be driving. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like it. There are a lot of supercars out there, a lot of better car guys than me, a lot of faster car guys than me, a lot that are juniors that I need to pull up with me. You know, And if I were a car who was both fast and competent and friendly and capable, but also approachable, I'd be a Trans Am. Nice. Great answer to that. I like that. Well, Steve, you're welcome. Well, Steve, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Garcia sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Driving never meant more as the all-new driving adventure awaits you with a not-for-profit drive toward a cure. Combines two spirited drives for a weekend of cars and camaraderie in Paso Robles, California. All to support finding a cure for Parkinson's disease. In a showcase of ribbon roads in California of chrome and elegance coming up this April 28th. Enjoy some of the nicest cars, people, drives, wine tasting, and luxury receptions while driving towards a cure for Parkinson's. To register or donate, click on drivetowardacure.com. Or check out Cars yeah guest Deb Pollock's show notes page where there's links to drive toward a cure. Donate today, or better yet, go for the drive. Okay, Steve, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Okay. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? I would probably have to say my auto shop teacher because I think anybody who's taken a shop class and and for for that matter, anybody who's had a great teacher knows that whether they're teaching hands-on or the academics, you know, French, English, math, uh, the sciences, what have you, you know, you learn those life lessons inside of whatever path you're on. And in my case, it's obviously cars. But he was giving to me and he said that he enjoyed teaching because he saw people like me get what he understood and he liked passing it on. So I would say that the advice my auto shop teacher gave me about you really only glow when you give to others. 
as I've grown more mature and gotten into more the spiritual side of life's mission, you know, believe in God or not believe in God, whatever people choose, I choose to believe in God, and I believe that we only become a conduit of goodness when we give to others. You know, we can't hold it to ourselves. And I'm not talking about evangelizing or trying to sell people on any spiritual or religious belief. I think it goes whether you believe or not. Whatever your philo- you know, if you if you if you worship, you know, crankshafts or hood ornaments, you know, whatever your thing is, I would have to say we all can do this. And that is when you give to others, that's when you glow. It's like a lamp that's not turned on. It has the electricity, but it's not sharing the light. So, I think when we give to others, we really glow. And when we don't, we kind of go dark. So I would say, be a light bulb in your community, be a light bulb wherever you are. And I think you're that way, Mark. I mean, I know you are. You're passing on your enthusiasm and you're sharing our stories. So my auto shop teacher said, and with that, you only get out of it what you put into it. So in other words, get up and and sweep the shop, Steve, you know, go put the tools away, whatever. To quote uh, Ray Kroc, if you can lean, you can clean. So get to work. Don't waste your day. (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. Well, how about a personal habit? Is there one in particular that you believe has contributed to your success? I would have to say, I know this is leaping to another area of of my interest, and I think a lot of other people may share this interest, and that is physical fitness. I look to a PFC acronym, persistence, follow through, and course correction. And that habit, you know, to, to burn it down to the essence, this year, 2017 marks 40 years since I joined my first gym, and I'm still a member of the same gym. It doesn't mean that I go back to it all the time, but my renewal each year is $44 a year renewal. So I figure, you know, a couple of visits and I've got my uh, Yeah, first that's one, one heck yeah. of a gym price. Holy cow. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, they, back in the dark ages when I started. Maybe with Jack Lane on TV. I'm telling you. Yeah, Jack Lane was one of those inspiring examples. I spent five years as a competitive, amateur competitive bodybuilder before I got married and had kids and had fun doing that. But I say this because, you know, the fitness part that sticks with me is that it's not a walking around trying to get, you know, flex the bicep or something because I'd, I'd rather keep my shirt on than take it off. But back then, any excuse to take it off, I'd be happy in your 20s, right, when you're working out. I'm kidding. But, you know, I still work out. So I still want to be fit. But it's not about the aesthetics. It's about the longevity and well-being. And so what I've learned about the persistence, the follow-through and course correction is the habit applies to business. You know, each rep is like a page turn of reading a book. Each set is an accomplishment. So every time I go to the gym, I feel a sense of incremental accomplishment. And I think that the key word there is persistence. I think that persistence leads to follow-through and course correction we're doing every single day as we apply what we've learned. So that's what I would say. Uh, Persistence, follow-through and course correction. Those habits are, are fundamental to everything I've done. Yes, absolutely. Now, do you have a resource that you think our listeners would enjoy? Well, I know it's, it's kind of cliche when you mention some of these, but I have to tell you that of all the things that I think people might mention, and I have sure, I've heard a few of your shows, including your show 300, which is an interview with Mark Green for folks <laughs> that might be doing this one, because I thought I should listen to the interview of my instructor. I was going to say, I slip and say, I want to listen to the interview of my instructor. Well, you're placing me on way too high a pedestal to be an instructor for you. No, no, no. It's, I'm learning as I go, and you're very, you know, very thoughtful to say that. Your son, Blake, interviewed you. Yes. What a success for you as an instructor, as a father. So when I look at you and I realize, you know, we come to a point where you have different websites. I really think LinkedIn is probably one of my most valuable connection points today. Mm-hmm. I'm finding so many people I used to work with, want to work with, have worked with, people like you that I've never met that I now could get introduced to. It's an incredible network. So I would say there are many great websites out there, but for the business side of my view, LinkedIn is one authentic social media piece that's that's really benefiting them, I gather, you know. Yes. But it's also really solid for us to be in touch with each other. And I see great blogs and information shared and I think I think it's just one of the one of the greatest resources that I've seen in recent years. Yeah, I agree. You know, LinkedIn, and they've improved. At first, I was really frustrated with that site. I just went, gosh, why don't you get your act together? It's so awkward. It wasn't intuitive to use. They've improved it. I think it's yes. gotten a lot better. I've met yes. a lot of my guests through LinkedIn. I post all my shows on LinkedIn. I post my blogs that I do every week on LinkedIn. You're giving a product endorsement here. Right. It's authentic. Yeah. You know, our, our service endorsement. Yeah. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? You know, I know that like your favorite car or whatever is a question that's got to be so provocative and there's been, and and I think other people would struggle with the same thing. I mean, there's just a, there's probably a dozen people. I could say Enzo Ferrari or Henry Ford. You know, those are two epic iconic names. Right. But if I had to go back, 
And I really think this from being in Detroit. I used to go to Nikki's Pizza in Greektown, which is the same space. If you go to Detroit, you got to go here. It's Nikki's Pizza is the first floor of a of an office building built in the late 1800s. And in 1901, John and Horace Dodge started their Dodge Brothers machine shop there, wow. and they were doing they were doing transmissions for uh, Ransom E. Oles, and and they were doing machine so uh, machining work for tier two supplier, if you will, right. for our Ransom Oles on the curve dash Oles. They were doing uh, machining work for Henry Ford with a with the uh, Model A in 1903. So that meant that that. Uh, Ransom E. Oles and Henry Ford walked across the transom into the same building space that I would go have pizzas in and pasta in with friends visiting from California and what have you in Greektown. So I would have to tell you, I wouldn't want to stay around John and Horace Dodge late into the evening because I'd end up in a fist fight <laughs> with somebody because they were partiers like in, and rabble rousers and they got in lots of fights. Yeah. But I would want to stay from, let's say, oh, you know, happy hour into maybe 830 having a drink with them or something because they were incredibly colorful and incredibly accomplished and really mavericks in the auto industry. I thought they were really innovative and creative. And after all, they started as, as master machinists. John Dodge and, and I think maybe Horace as well had worked in a bicycle shop machining across the, the, the Detroit River, which is the Trois, you know, the straight. The French word Detroit is the straight for people that don't know how Detroit got its name. But over in Windsor, John Dodge had been a member of a bicycle uh, uh, manufacturing and machining operation that went bankrupt. And then to pay him off for what they owed him for a patent he came up with for the adjustable ball bearing hub of a bicycle, they gave him machining equipment and he went over and started his machine shop in <laughs> 1901. So he's one of those guys who's a role model. So John Dodge and Horace Dodge, I'd say. Yeah, that, that would be an interesting dream. Drink. Yeah, yeah. And the rest. Just, just remember to leave early. Oh, there'd be a fist fight. You yeah, might be I hear there. Yeah, but, well, yeah. even you look at some of the commercials they're doing now with those two guys where they've kind of brought them back. They, yeah, they've indicated yeah. that they were kind of rough and ready guys. But yeah, what a legacy they built. How, yeah. about, how about a book? Is there a book that you'd like to share with Cars? Yeah. You know, there's so many automotive books that I have seen cited in, in perusing your website, and I'd like to add to the list a little beyond automotive because you and I are journalists, and, and you're becoming more of the broadcaster and podcaster uh, here than I think almost any of us in broadcasting because I, I don't know anybody who's done 700 shows in two and a half years. <laughs> no. I mean, I think – I think you're an overachiever uh, extraordinaire. Uh, yeah, I, I put a big uh, bunch of alligators on my rear end to chase me I'm, down this path. <laughs> and, and your office looks in this Skype. I can see your office in the background. It looks so ordered, you know. And I'm thinking this guy's <laughs> either you're under control or what you've done is you've thrown all the pile of crazy paper and stuff on the other side of the room. Now, you'd ask my wife. I'm a little bit uh, compulsive when it comes to being orderly. You like it tidy, I can yeah. tell. But to expand, be you know, inside of, of journalism, our world, and others who are in this field, I'd like to suggest a book that I absolutely enjoy. I went to the Santa Barbara Writers Conference several times, and each time got to know better the speaker who was the keynote, Ray Bradbury. Ah. Uh. Yeah. And I'd never been a science fiction person per se, but Ray is incredible. He passed away a few years ago, but he's an incredible, humble, such a talented guy and such an incredible visual, uh, imaginative, you know, use the imagination kind of writer. He wrote a book called Zen and the Art of Writing. And it, I don't know if it has anything about actual Zen in it, but it has <laughs> everything about writing. Yeah. And each chapter is not meant to be contiguous with the other chapters. They're standalone, independent stories about how to write and approach different areas of writing. Zen and the Art of Writing. And the second book, which again is probably mentioned by somebody else, but may not be as much, I think is great for anybody in the car industry to enjoy, is also supporting shop classes. And that's the, the bestseller by Matthew Crawford, I think his name is, uh, Shop Class as Soul Craft. Yes. I read that and I meant, you know, the first half of the book is all about hands-on and why we should care. Second half is a little, I got a little lost in. It's a little more philosophical. But I really connected with all of it. But primarily, the first half of the book is profound. I think everybody should read Shop Class is Soulcraft if they if they only care about our car culture being preserved. It's it's the hands-on aspect. I don't know if you've seen it or read it. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm very. I read it when it first came out. I'm very familiar with it. And the back part of it kind of reminds me of Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which exactly. is another psychology right. philosophy book. You know that. Yeah. Isn't what you thought it was going to be when you start reading it. So uh, right. my son right. Blake gave me that book to read, and when I started reading it, it too. Then yeah, yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, most definitely, yeah, yeah. absolutely okay. fantastic. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that uh, Steve has been so kind to share today on the Cars Yeah website. Uh, if you just go to carsyeah.com, type in Steve Ford in the search bar, his page will pop up with all these links. And he mentioned uh, there's another great place on the Cars Yeah website called Guest Recommended Books. Under the References tab, oh my gosh, there's probably 800 books listed there now. For And all you have to do is click and buy. They're 
I've got them all set up to link to Amazon for you, so it makes it That's really, great. really easy. So great place. All right, we're up to the checkered flag here, Steve, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, don't worry about the cost, because today I'll buy you whatever you'd like. Thank you. Let's You're go welcome. Shopping. Yeah, let's go shopping. <laughs> what would it be and why? It's a hands-down answer. As a car guy, I get the question oftentimes, you know, the, the doctors and lawyers and car guys that all of us might represent in the, in the culture. Yeah. You know, we get our respective questions, and, and I just find it pretty funny because I think other people who are car people would, would appreciate the same question they get. What is your favorite car or what car do you recommend? Those are the two questions I most commonly get, and I sometimes almost want to giggle because they're so predictable. Oh, you're in the car industry. Yes, I am. What's your favorite car? Or what, what, I'm getting ready to buy a car. You know, well, for me, the favorite car has always been difficult because I think a Model T4 represents vanadium steel, planetary gear set, you know, transmission, brilliant. It's introduction of mass production, not the first mass production, because that's that's really people before Henry Ford. But he gets credit for uh, true scaled mass production and the $5 day work pay, you know, yeah. and so on. And that's the Model T. It's epic, iconic. But I wouldn't enjoy driving it quite as much as I'd enjoy driving a car I saw on a date once driving through Malibu on PCH. It was going the opposite direction. I was at an intersection with this girl I was with, driving my Datsun 240Z back then. This is in the 80s, a white Datsun 71 240Z with a black interior. Another car I'd want to buy back, by the way. Great car. But I'm driving my Datsun 240Z. I think I'm pretty cool in that car, right? But there's a, da- a Ferrari Daytona across from us going the opposite direction up Pacific Coast Highway. So this is the, the 365 GTB? 365 GTB, yeah. 69. Yeah. And I mean, I'm seeing it and it goes by and the, and with the four pipes in the rear, which I'd study later as I got totally into three, the Daytonas, you know, the resonance and the roar as he, the light turned green and he was not burning out, you know, taking off, but he opened up the throttle in first gear as he went by and it just echoed off the walls of Malibu cliffs there yeah. on PCH Malibu, you know, and I just, I, I wasn't immediately struck by that is the car I'd own, but then I started to look at them at car shows and what have you and I realized that is Enzo's beautiful work of the, you know, downdraft Weber carburetors, the uh, Marinelli distributors, two oil filters, two distributors, you know, the six carburetors, downdrafts. I mean, they were beautiful. Yeah. And that motor, that, that incredible Ferrari V12. I mean, the whole design just is, from every angle, I'm in love with that car. It's out of my price range, perhaps for the rest of my life. But I love the fact that it, it's not absolutely impossible it's a dream and if it's and it gives me something to know you may never have it all but if you do you need that car you know and that would be the car <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. my gosh what a car yeah absolutely stunning car iconic uh daytona of course that uh, i don't know who doesn't like a daytona so uh yeah, yeah. Oh, what a car. Well, Steve, you've taken me on an awesome ride today. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey and for being my 700th guest today. What an honor. What an honor. Well, it's a milestone marker for me, absolutely, and it's it's been so great to have you be that placeholder in the uh, legacy that is cars. I, I yeah. would love to have shown up sooner. I'm glad that I was found. You know, it's like I'm out here. Hey, Mark, how are you? Yeah, I've been around cars. You absolutely. Know. Yeah, just, just a little bit. Well, could you give us one little parting piece of wisdom and guidance before? Or you rip off down the coast highway in that Ferrari 365 GTB. You know, I think that unless you stretch, and I, I, I've thought of this, and I think I've alluded to this, but unless you stretch, you can't grow. I don't think anybody really ever gets muscle bound. I know that people talk about that, I mean, on the physical way that, you know, and years ago it was like, don't lift weights, you'll become muscle bound. My dad told me that, you know, and I, I here I go again. It's like, I'll become an amateur competitive bodybuilder. My dad says, don't lift weights. Yeah. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to lift those weights. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But I remember um, there was a guy named John Grimmick who was, was walked out on a stage and people said, you're so muscular. He was Mr. America, one of the first Mr. Americas and great uh, Olympic athlete as well. So truly strong and good looking. They asked him to touch his toes, Mark, you know what he did he took his elbows down to his toes <laughs> yeah you got to picture that yeah. and they like their jaws dropped right. literally people said the scene was incredible yeah. this mr america touched his toes with his, with his elbows. elbows yeah yeah am i flexible and then he did the splits it's like <laughs> okay i guess you don't muscle bound i think unless you stretch you don't grow so Perfect. stretch as much as you can in your life what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business well you know, a, sort of an online resume. I'm not selling anything or promoting anything except saying, saying, here's samples of what I believe in, what I like, the people I've met. You know, it's video blog sort of and archives some articles and so on. It's thecarguy.com, yeah. uh, the website you mentioned so thoughtfully and kindly early on. Yeah. Uh, I registered that in 1995, obviously having the trade or the service mark registered in 1985 and starting the use of the mark 
1983 inspecting used cars while I was going to college. Thecarguide.com is sort of an accumulation of samples of work and fun stuff that's interested me. LinkedIn, I welcome connecting there with car, car you know, colleagues uh, that we both know are out there, like you. You and I are connected on yep, LinkedIn. So absolutely. For them. And, uh, and then my hobby is Muscle Beach. I'm a PR guy, volunteer over 30 years for Muscle Beach Venice and Muscle Beach Santa Monica. Nice. So my website for my hobby is musclebeach.net, N-E-T, for fun stuff for people to know, oh, sort of a parallel to the car world because yeah. it's like fun stuff across the last century of pop culture. That's it. Again, you can find all these links on Steve's show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type Steve in the search bar. Or Steve Ford, another great last name, by the way. I don't know how you're playing that one, but that was pretty yeah, cool. Thank you. Again, you can find all these links on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Hey, Steve, thanks again for being so generous today with all your time and expertise. I know the show's a little longer than a normal show, but being a 700 show, I think it uh, the rewards for our listeners are great listening to your stories. Oh, my gosh, thanks. we could talk for days and hours. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Well, Mark, you know, I, I feel like there are so many people that are car guys and car gals out there, and I was fortunate to be a guy who happened to think of it in 1983 as not the first person to use the lingo, car guy, but I recognized it as a term. And now, you know, we have all of us probably, I hope I can relate to and can relate to what I just told you about my career. It's very similar to so many car guys and car gals. You know, they have their own stories, and they're all colorful. So thank you for the privilege. And I'm humbled. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.